0: I'm your host, Madeline, and welcome to The Courageous Podcast, where you will hear inspirational stories of everyday people who will share how they found strength, hope, and faith in the midst of adversity. Let's get ready to be inspired. Hello, hello. Today, I have Erica Del Real, who is a Mexican-American woman born and raised in Humboldt Park in Chicago. She is an ex-gang member and a drug dealer that found God in some of the darkest times in her life. Today, she is a trauma response specialist and a college graduate that uses her own testimony to help change others' lives that are walking the path that she left behind. Welcome, welcome to the Courageous Podcast, Erica. Thank you. Eroica. Eroica. Oh my goodness. You wait now to tell me that after we've been talking all these <laughs> weeks. <laughs> uh, I like it. I like it. You got to, A hey girl, you got to check me and correct me. That's okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on. It's interesting because I was trying to connect with you in December of 2019, and it just wasn't coming together. And I said, Hey, you know what, when the time is right, we will connect once again. And so I'm really excited to have you on today. And so when you and I were talking, I mean, I knew of you and I knew you back in the day, but I didn't know what you were going through. So You told me that your parents migrated from Mexico to Chicago and that you grew up in the Humboldt Park area and that you are one of six children, three brothers and two sisters, and you are the baby. Education was very important to you and you were a really good student. And you actually graduated high school early, which is a pretty big accolade. And your mom raised you up in the Catholic Church. I like to tell people a little bit about the background, because a lot of times we think that people go down certain journeys because of where they came from, and that's not necessarily the truth. And so in 2002, at the age of 18, you experienced a horrible tragedy. And because of that pain, you spiraled out of control. Tell us a little bit about that story.
1: So in 2002, my my first boyfriend was um, unfortunately murdered. During Puerto Rican weekend. After that happened, I turned to alcohol and to drugs a little bit more. I was already involved in the streets, but I think that that made me a little bit more involved in the streets as I felt I needed to retaliate for what had happened to him. So I think at that point, that was kind of my breaking point that I felt a lot deeper into the streets and into the gang life.
0: And you had said something that kind of surprised me, but is very known in the streets and in the gangs. I mean, you said that you were in a hundred percent, you were ride or die together. That's a pretty powerful statement, but it shows the commitment that you had to the gang at that time, I guess that became your family. How did your family feel about what you were doing and the, the fact that you were living that life?
1: Well, my mother's been into church her whole life. Thank God for our mother's prayers. So she, she wasn't mm-hmm. in agreement. She was a little naive at first to how deep my involvement was in the streets. So she would kind of try to blame my friends. But it was kind of like my own decisions at the moment. And, you know, when I did live the street life, you hit it on, on the head. I was 100% for the streets. I was for that life. My, my loyalty was to all the wrong things and all the wrong people. But I was loyal
0: to it. I can imagine your mom, like any mother, is always worried and concerned about their kids, about being out, about what they're doing. Thankfully, like you said, that she was a praying mom and she had so much faith and just trusted God. And so then in 2006, tragedy strikes again.
1: So in 2006, my current boyfriend at that time, he was murdered as well. Um, When that happened, I was just kind of a little bit more sick and tired of the streets. So I started to get involved back into school. It pushed me back in that direction, but I wasn't really fully done with it. So I was kind of living a double life. I was trying to get out of it, but it it was still calling me back.
0: Yeah, that's got to be a push and pull. It's so easy for us to do bad, right? Or just live our life however we want to live it. It's so much harder to change, to go back, to do things better. And so during that time, you had said that there was a woman that attended our church, which is a New Life Covenant. And at that time, they were at Clemente High School. And this woman also had lost her son, and so she understood the violence, and the streets, and her name was Ada, right, and she would invite you to church all the time, and you will always avoid her, which, you know, sounds (laughs) normal for a young teenager, like, what's with these church people, like, leave me alone, you know, why did you avoid her so much?
1: (laughs) Um, So Ada has been a part of our family forever, her son, rest in peace, was with me since like kindergarten first grade he was murdered her husband was like an uncle you know to me like the godfather and um i guess why i would avoid her was because i wasn't living my life right so it was kind of like conviction like she would come and you know yes. in my head at that time i i can recall seeing her car and like looking the other way maybe she don't come over here you know talking the god talk i think many people avoid people who are in the light because they're still living in the dark. They're not ready for for that exposure.
0: Thankfully, she didn't give up. And one day you finally said, okay, I'm going to go to church. It's almost (laughs) like I, I recall many times when Pastor Choco used to say, like, thank you for coming. Somebody invited you to church today. Or I should I say they forced you to come to church today? But thankfully, right, that we have those people in our life that do encourage us. You know, what happened that day when you walked in?
1: My initial response um, of going to church with her was in my mind frame, like, okay, I'm going to go with her. I'm going to get it out of the way. That's it. She can't say I never went with her and keep doing what I was doing. Um, And it obviously didn't work out that way. When I got to church, like you said, it was inside Roberto Clemente High School. I was um, at a really vulnerable time in my life, so everything was, like, down. When I walked in, everyone was just kind of happy and just smiling and greeting me. And, hi, nice to see you. Welcome. And I'm just like, what's wrong with these people? They're too happy. Like, what's (laughs) going on? I was just kind of, you know, it's different because it's something that I wasn't used to. I, I was in the streets. I'm I'm gaming and, you know, I'm watching my back. And, you know, it's totally different compared to what I was greeted with. As the pastor began to talk, I kind of got scared because I was like, does this guy know me? Like, does he know that I just walked into this auditorium? Everything that he was saying was like literally for me. It was like literally like he was playing darts and every dart was just straight to my heart. It was my experience in the streets, my experience with, with death, my experience just overall and he kept saying, like, are you, you know, you think you're here by accident or a mistake? You know, you're supposed to be here. I remember crying. And then um, towards the end, you know, he asked everybody to close their eyes and pray. And he's like, anybody needs prayer, raise your hand up. And I raised my hand up. And that's kind of where he tricked me at. <laughs> Not tricked me. But um, he's like, anybody <laughs> who raised your hand you know, come down to the altar. And at that point, I felt a little bit embarrassed only because of who I was in the streets. And I was like, I'm not going to go down to the altar. Everyone's going to look at me. You know, everyone knows my story. They know what I do. They know I'm standing, you know, literally a block away on Division and Campbell selling drugs and game banging. So I was embarrassed and I put my hand down and Ada like encouraged me, like go down there. I went down there when I walked out of my seat even to this day like I feel like I was just floating down to the altar like I don't even remember how I was taking every step but I know that when I landed at the altar I kind of just threw myself on the floor and I was just rocking in a fetal position crying that was even weird because I I don't you know I was taught to cry was a sign of weakness so as I was sitting there crying at the altar people you know they came over to like lay hands on me and pray for me. And I think that that was the point that captivated me because the things that these alleged strangers were praying over my life were things that they knew intimately about me. They knew about my boyfriend's being murdered. They knew I had a a religious mother that prayed for me. And that's the things that they were praying over my life at that moment. And it was kind of creepy. You know, I'm not used to that. And I'm like, whoa, here's these strangers. That they walk day in and day out on the vision to get to Roberto Clemente High School to go to church. And I'm so stuck in my ways that I don't even acknowledge them. I don't even see them. And they see me every week. They see me on Wednesdays. They see me on Sundays. And they're sitting here praying for me. And I was just like, okay, this is this is pretty cool. <laughs>
0: That was definitely a divine appointment. And, and you're right. You you weren't there. It wasn't an accident. I've had so many people say the same thing where they go to church and, you know, pastor or a pastor has said something and they're like, okay, does somebody tell them something? And so I love when that happens because it really shows the power of God and you know, the plans that he has for you. And so you told me that day that you said, Lord, I don't have it all together. I've been through so many things and I just want to change. And to me, that was so powerful. And so what happened after that? I
1: remember leaving church like it was yesterday. That was like in 2006. It's been about 15 years. And Ada was like, you know, do you want me to drop you back off? Or where are you going? And I felt a little confused. Like like I said, it's, it's being in a dark room and someone comes and kind of just turns the lights on. So I felt guilty right. going back to the neighborhood. I was like, you know what? You could just drop me off at home. <laughs> I was like, just take me home. And um, I had a Bible that, you know, I've always had a Bible. Like I said, my mom is a Catholic and she did raise this correctly, but it was like brand new. I've been having it my whole life at that moment. And it was still new. I went, I cracked it open. I was reading a little bit. I guess my spirit was touched where I was like, you know what, maybe I should go back to school. And I started taking college classes. I, I can't say that it just like happened overnight because I was still distracted by the streets, My my friends would still call me, you know, I'll still go around the neighborhood and and hang out and stuff. But I knew that I wanted something a little bit different. I wanted what the people had in the church. I wanted that joy, that Mm -hmm. happiness that I felt when I walked in and I was greeted.
0: That's amazing. I'm so glad that when you walked in, that you were received in that way with love, with kindness, because if not, it could have been a really, really different story, you know? And so thankfully those people, God bless them, that they took the chance and, um, and they loved on you at a moment when you were most vulnerable. And so in 2008, just a couple years later, um, you shared that the FBI had been watching the gang for quite some time, for several years. And someone had told you that you were at risk for getting locked up as well. And then one day you get a knock at the door.
1: I had a friend that was actually one of the older guys from the neighborhood that um, later down the road, we find out that he had been cooperating with the FBI. That's how he knew what was going to happen. Um, Ironically, he, he called me out of the restaurant one day And he shared with me that the FBI was going to come and get me. I thought it was kind of like a joke. I was like, the FBI is not really worried about me. And then um, I asked Hmm. him, like, how do you know? And he he told me that he had been cooperating with them. So at that point, I knew that it was true. It kind of slithered to the back of my mind where I kept going to school and living my life. And I was like, okay, maybe they're not coming. So when they did come... I remember my mom waking me up, and she asked me if I had did anything wrong. And I told her, like, no, I left that alone. You know, I don't really mess around no more. You know, they began to knock on the door, so I told her to open the door because they were going to break the door down. And if they broke the door down, they were not going to pay for it. When she opened the door, um, I did tell the police, "Look, I'm unarmed," because they came in. You know, they had their guns out and goggles and all that stuff and I was like I'm unarmed I I had on my pajamas and stuff they took me down to the MCC building which is in downtown Chicago and I kind of told them like "I, I know why I'm here you know I knew what I had been doing in the street so I kind of took full responsibility for my part and I knew that my my past finally had caught up with me
0: and so you were kind of on a different journey now. You're battling, you're trying to change, you're going to school, you're waiting for your trial. You joined Sports Ministry, which was a ministry that I was also a part of. Sports Ministry is a platform that's used to speak about Christ and to share the love of Christ through different sports, baseball, volleyball, all those kind of things, if- Um, and so that's kind of where we met, but I didn't know your situation. I didn't know obviously what you were going through, but someone there was aware of what you were going through. And one day he offered you a ride home and, uh, he said something to you. What was that?
1: So, um, when I was in the sports ministry, I was playing volleyball and softball. My coach, he was actually my coach. They would always ask for volunteers to go play with the kids and uh, I would always volunteer and um, I would take my two nieces with me, and he asked me if I needed a ride home one day. So I guess someone shared with him what was going on. Like, yeah, she's on trial. She's about to get sentenced for, you know, a case. And what I thought was going to be a ride home ended up being into a big conversation into what was going on. What it meant for me for for him to offer his help was a lot because I'm the type of person that I always feel like I have it under control. I got it together. Sometimes we do need help from people. So he did ask if he can come to to my trial. I didn't let my mom come, you know, my, my boyfriend at the time. I didn't let anyone go with me, but um, my little nieces, because I wanted to show them what wrong decisions could ultimately lead to, you know, being mm-hmm. in a federal courtroom fighting for your freedom. So he came. What it was for him to to come was priceless, you know, for for him to speak on my behalf and tell them, you know, yeah, this is who she was. She is guilty of what she's getting accused of, but this is who she is today and this is what she's doing now.
0: And so you said that the judge was like surprised about your case and about your story. You know, what did she say to you? Because she said she didn't understand how a college student would end up on trial.
1: So it was agreed upon by, by my lawyer and I that I was not to speak and I wasn't prepared to talk. So at that point where she did begin to, to talk to me directly, I was just kind of looking at my lawyer like, hey, I'm not supposed to say anything. <laughs> What's going on? She asked me a question and I remember like vaguely like looking at her and looking at my lawyer and she told me, she was like, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you directly. I want to know how is it that you're a college student and you ended up in my courtroom. I kind of just told her the truth and I spoke from the heart. Like, you know, this this is who I am. This is what I was doing. My first boyfriend was murdered and numerous friends were murdered. And I just started drinking and kind of just lost control of myself, of my life. And that's why I'm here. You know, I'm here for selling drugs Mm -hmm. and I wasn't innocent. But this is what led to it. At that point, she shared something with me that she had sentenced somebody before. And they threatened her family. And when she got home, her family was murdered. Her husband was murdered and and her mother. So she definitely understood what it was to to lose someone Mm. and to have to cope with it Hmm. by drinking. She wished that she could give me lesser time, Mm. but she couldn't under the the crack cocaine disparity laws, it's a mandatory minimum of 60 months, which is five years. So she was giving me the mandatory minimum of five years.
0: Oh, I can imagine how you felt that day. But I'm so glad that she shared that story. That's something that you didn't tell me. I mean, that's powerful for her to be in your, see your situation and be like, I understand, I feel you, and it's out of my power, but I'm with you. And so you went to the U.S. Women's Penitentiary in West Virginia, and you said the enemy was still coming for you, right? Which again would make sense, and that you would pray all the time to God to restore your heart and to give you a new spirit. And while you were in prison, you started teaching English as a second language and Spanish 101 so the inmates could communicate to each other. You know, why did you decide to do that and teach?
1: (laughs) So, um, there is a difference between state prison and federal prison. Federal prison, anybody caught with immigration goes federal. So there was a lot of people there that were trying to illegally maybe enter the United States or whatever it may be, where there was a language barrier. People that spoke English couldn't speak to them or they couldn't speak to the white shirts or different people. So I was like, you know, I'm here anyway, I have to be here no matter what, I have to make the best out of any situation. So I started teaching some of the immigrants that didn't know English, I started teaching beginners English, and then a little bit further along a second course. And then I was teaching the people who didn't know Spanish, Spanish 101. So at least they knew the basic things of, can I help you? Hi, how are you? Things of that sort. I also taught woman empowerment classes and creative writing and stuff.
0: I'm so glad you did that because a lot of times we think that when we're going through a situation or we're broken or you know we're sick, whatever the situation is, is that God can't use us. And whether you're in prison or in any difficult situation, God <laughs> can still use you to help and serve others. So before we get into a couple of the questions that I usually share on courageous. You shared that when you came home, your sister and brother in law helped you to land an insurance agent position. And even though your new boss knew you were in prison still, he was willing to wait for you because he believed in second chances. And so there are people out there that will provide us second chances and sometimes even third and fourth and fifth chances. Um, And that's how God is, right? I mean, he will forgive us, right? 70 times 70. And so I wanted to ask you, you know, what motivated you to push through all of this adversity?
1: Well, I used to call home sometimes from prison, and I'll, I'll be honest, like maybe my last 180 days, I had like six months left, and I was a little fearful. I was thinking about, you know, what life was going to be now, and I was in preparation, and I remember sharing, like, you know, how how am I going to get a job? <laughs> I'm a, you know, convicted felon. I'm a convicted drug dealer. Like, how am I going to get a job? And, you know, just to piggyback off what you just said, that's nothing but the grace of God. He, he took care right. of that. He aligned that. I never filled out an application. You know, I was sitting here selling myself short on job opportunities in my head, thinking maybe I'm going to, you know, have to work here or work there or work at a factory job or something because now I'm, you know, I'm a convicted felon. But um, his plans are always way bigger than ours, than anything we can imagine. Um, My brother-in-law was a graphic designer for the owner of an insurance company, and I guess he needed a girl because one of his girls had quit. So he was inquiring about my niece and my brother-in-law was like, well, my niece, my daughter's not available, but I have someone for you. She's really well spoken. You know, she's bilingual, great customer service skills, typing, faxing, anything that, you know, you need should be the one. But the only problem is she's in a federal penitentiary. Ironically, the owner was like, OK, well, I'm willing to give her a chance You know, I'm always willing to give anyone a second chance. We all deserve it. And when I came out, I was in a federal halfway house with the house arrest band on, on my leg and everything. And I was wearing slacks and button ups and going to work. And no one really knew what I had just been through, like what hell I had just overcame. But I was grateful. And, you know, he paid for me to go to insurance school I am licensed producer for the state of Illinois, which even that God showed his favor because I had to explain to the state that I was a felon and sometimes they can Mm -hmm. reject it and they approved me and I'm still licensed today, even though I'm not doing it anymore until 2023 when it's time to renew.
0: I'm so glad that he did that. You know, looking back, is there anything that you would have done differently on this journey?
1: (sighs) That's such a tough question. (laughs) You know, many times we we look back on our past and we we think of things that we could have done different and we should have done different and mistakes that we made that probably would have ended up with different outcomes. I think at this point, I wouldn't change anything. Obviously, you know, I was gifted enough where I can bring back loved ones that are no longer here. That would definitely be an answer. But besides that, I I wouldn't change anything. Because we we need those experiences in life to sit there and show us, you know, that we're not alone, that God sends people to your That's life right. to help you, to guide you and to help you make better decisions and to show his grace through them.
0: And most people say no. And it amazes me because I think, wow, after everything they went through, they still say that they would still walk the same journey. But it does lead you to a better place. And so a lot of people could be bitter about what they went through, which again, isn't going to get you anywhere. And so if there's somebody out there right now, that's listening, that's in your situation, that has a family member in your situation, or that's been through it and just doesn't know how to move forward and push through, what would you say to them right now to encourage them?
1: Never stop praying. I I was grateful and I am grateful. And I was fortunate enough to have a mother that I was like the lost child, you know, the, the prodigal son that kind of left. And I remember, you know, my mom's friends used to tell her like, hey, we just seen your daughter on the vision <laughs> or, you know, we seen your daughter drunk or we seen her, you know, doing this or doing that. And no matter what, the love of a mother is unconditional. And that's what our father showed us, you know, that unconditional Love that no matter what they say about my daughter, no matter what she's doing, no matter who she is right now, I am going to pray that she's going to become the woman that she was ordered to be. And that's why I'm here. You know, I had a mother that never gave up on me. So if someone's going through similar situations or they have a loved one, pray for them, pray for them. And don't ever stop praying and don't ever give up because the father don't give up on
0: us. hmm. That's so true. The power of prayer. I think the hardest part is praying. And a lot of times we want it to happen like right away yesterday. But sometimes, I mean, we have to keep praying and it could be years before we get a revelation or we are restored or, you know, we get where God is calling us to be. And so we have to be patient and just continue to trust His plan. And, and I'm glad that you did that. Exactly. And so you had said to me that everything you had been through was ordained by God. And has led you to where you are today. I love that. And so what does life look like for you today before we go?
1: So like I shared, our plans are are, are different than, than what he has for us. You know, his, his plans are so much more bigger. I was kind of okay and consent where I was at as an insurance agent. And I didn't go apply anywhere. He sent the right people again to me. Like, hey, we have this position. It's for you we need your experience, we need your street credibility, we need, we need you, and I jumped on board. I I am a trauma response specialist at the busiest hospital in Chicago. I respond to gunshot wound patients, I respond to intentional violence, stabbings, domestic violence, battery assault, and I go and I offer my help, whether it be victim services, whether it's just a listening ear, whether it's that you know one of their loved ones needs help with anything helping connect them you know with counseling with anything that they may need it's pretty powerful to be in that trauma department nine out of ten times i actually know patients and i'm like hey listen you know it's real look where i'm at i'm in here Mm -hmm. working where i should be somewhere else not that i'm saying that you know i should be somewhere else but where God found me in the depths of hell, I, I had no life in me, I had no joy in me, you know, I was bitter, I was sad, I was depressed. And, you know, he, he restored me and brought me back from it. So if he can do it for me, he can definitely do it for you. I attend Northeastern, I'm pursuing my bachelor's degree. I'm actually a couple classes short. And that's what I do. I do public speaking and I, I share my testimony and my life and what God has done for me.
0: That's amazing. I love that you're giving back and that you're helping others walk on their journey and that they can relate to you because you've been there and you've gone through it. And again, that's where God positioned you to be right now. I imagine he's going to continue to open more doors. Listen, I want to thank you. Thank you for being on the Courageous Podcast today. This was a great conversation. Thank you. I know this is kind of the first time that you're telling your story and I'm going to call it out. I know you said that you were going to write a book and that you want to write a book. And so I'm going to call it out and put you out there because God is calling you to write your story so that you can continue to impact young people and people that are still struggling in their thirties and their forties. If they were in prison, if they were in the gang life, I know that God is calling you to do it. I have a couple of people that have been on courageous podcasts that have written books in the last year or two. And I know that if it's your calling, that God will open the doors. And so I'm going to keep checking up on you with that, but I want to thank you. I pray blessings upon you upon your family, that God will continue to use you and that you will continue to reach people in your work on a daily and that you will continue to change lives for Christ.
1: I receive it. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Will do. If anybody wants to connect with Eroica, please. Reach out to me on Instagram or Facebook at Courageous Podcast, and I will put you in touch with her if you want her to speak. She's there to share her story and continue to touch lives. So be blessed, Eroica, and we'll be in touch soon.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Madeline.
0: (laughs) Hey, Courageous Community. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope you were encouraged today. If you have a courageous story or want to connect with today's guest, email us at courageouspodcast2020 at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Courageous Podcast. Until next time, continue to be strong and courageous.